I feel like I've said this the last few episodes, but what did we just watch? That was an unbelievable episode. Time after time, week after week, Loki keeps raising the bar. And I don't know how much more impressed I can get with this show. I don't know where they can go from here. Well, I do know where they can go from here, and I want them to do it, but I don't think that's going to happen. We'll get into that here as the episode you know, progresses. But wow, the penultimate uh, episode of season one here for Loki, episode five. Just fantastic stuff. Uh, what was your immediate reaction to this episode, Justin? I, I don't know. I was kind of shook, <laughs> especially at the end with everything that happened then, which again, we'll get into. Yo, it was wild. And it was a real cliffhanger at the end too. I was expecting them to do a bit more. Like after the last week's episode, when I was expecting them to cut it off a bit early, it kind of gave me a little bit of hope that this week they would not just reveal like the big castle at the end, but that they would show a sneak peek into who the big villain is. And they didn't, and uh, I had to get over that. But it was just such a good cliffhanger, so tense. The whole episode just grabbed your attention. There were some really good, nice character moments in there. You just had a smile on your face the whole time, man. Ah, such a good hour of TV, or 45 minutes, whatever the heck it was. Such good TV, man. I was so fast to rewatch that episode. This is the one that I think I rewatched the most immediately after, just because I couldn't wait. <laughs> I couldn't wait to, to watch it again. It was so good. Yeah, ton of great moments in this episode. Crazy cliffhanger. A lot of plot moving forward here, which we've gotten a ton of in the last two episodes after a slow character building episode three. But things are speeding towards the finish line here, and... I feel like that finish line is at the bottom of a cliff with the way we're going here. We're about to just completely rush into, well, no pun intended, but into the void and just have a spectacular landing here. Loki has been set up to really raise the bar for not just the MCU shows, but the MCU in general, moving forward with everything that it's brought up so far and the potential that it has to really shake things up here with this last episode and potentially even more with the season two on the horizon. So let's just jump into it here. This episode starts us off with the same spot we ended last episode with that end credit scene, the different versions of Loki staring down at himself. And that's, of course, Kid Loki. We have old classic Loki with the goofy costume. We have boastful Loki, who I thought might have been a Thor variant because he was holding a hammer. But we do learn that that is boastful Loki who seems to brag about all his accomplishments. And we don't know if they're actually true. And Gator Loki. Um, and then, of course, Alligator Loki, who they just Gator. assume he's uh, Loki because he's green and he's got the helmet, but could be anything, I guess. Even though none of the Lokis are actually green, they just wear green, but they themselves are not green. So I don't know why <laughs> they just assume the Gator is. Yeah. So we also learn the origin story for three of these four Loki variants. Unfortunately, we don't get the Alligator Loki origin story, which I know we were all dying to here but classic loki actually his story is the same as i'm just going to say prime loki even though he's not really the prime one but for this show he's prime loki classic loki has the same story as prime loki all the way up until infinity war where instead of trying to stab thanos he projects a fake version of himself and he said it was so real even the mad titan believed it and then he hid himself as some inanimate debris and when the ship exploded he like floated through the universe, kind of just pondering his existence and then just hold up for, I don't know how long. I mean, our version of Loki, Prime Loki, is supposed to be around 1,500 years old and he looks like he's, you know, in his 
30s. In the beginning of Thor, we see them as young boys. So I, we don't really know how Asgardian aging works, but if Loki's been there long enough to look like Richard E. Grant, you can imagine it's been quite a lengthy period of time that he was just hanging out. And he's got kind of a sad backstory. He ends up missing Asgard and Thor and his family and all the people that he left behind, you know, after years of solitude on this planet. And as soon as he goes to make a move to go back to Asgard or to see Thor, that's when the TVA steps in and prunes him. So he was fine living out lonesome on some planet where he wasn't affecting the rest of the timeline. But as soon as he made a move to go back to Asgard, that is what his Nexus event was. And that's how he got pruned. That was a little bit strange to me how he his Nexus event wasn't escaping Thanos, right? His Nexus event was later on leaving his eventual planet of solitude, which means that it wouldn't technically have been against, quote unquote, the sacred timeline, which at this point we all know is a joke. But the TVA wasn't there enforcing the fact that he escaped from Thanos and that he chose not to try and stab him and eventually die. So that was interesting to me. So clearly there's some wiggle room with what the TVA decides is fine and not, which I guess maybe we'll get a bit more insight into that when uh, we figure out eventually who is behind it and a bit more of their motives. But that was interesting to me because I'm like, huh, you would think that as soon as it branches from what like Prime Loki is supposed to happen, that that would be considered the Nexus event. But that's not the case. So we're still learning about how, how that all even happens. Yeah, and with everything that we've garnered about the TVA over these first five episodes, obviously they're not on the up and up, but they do have tremendous power. So where is that line? Like where does the ability to dictate the flow of time and, you know, to what degree can they actually do that? Um, we need to see some, some more defining lines on the TVA because right now there's still too much of a mystery. We don't know the source of their power or how they're so potent. I mean, you know, they're able to essentially neutralize infinity stones and extremely powerful beings while in the TVA and can travel to any point in time at any place, which is amazing. But we've learned that their figureheads are frauds and nobody really knows what's going on. So TVA has got a lot of questions to answer, not the least of which are their defining of Nexus events and, and all that. So I'm sure we'll get more info on that in the next episode. But as for now, still yet unanswered. Are you expecting a lot of these questions to be answered just in the next episode? Or are you worried that there might be too many questions to answer? As I'm listing it out, there's so many questions here that need answering that I don't think we're going to get solid, concrete answers to at the end of this, or by the end of this next episode. Especially with the season two on the horizon, I feel like there's certainly no need to just exposition dump everything in the, in the final episode. I've some big bad guy in the cast, and he's like, ha-ha, here's my plan. Here's how the TVA operates. Here's our training manual, if you want to take a look at that, if you have any more questions. Like, I don't think that'll happen, so maybe it's better that these get, you know, let are left unanswered for at least this season. And, you know, there's a certain amount of hand-waving I'm willing to accept for a good story, mm -hmm. you know, suspension of disbelief and all that. Mm -hmm. So if they don't necessarily explain everything out to a, the infinite degree, I'm not going to be too upset, but there are definitely some big questions that require answering if Nexus events and the TVA are going to be factors moving forward in the main timeline. So next we learn about Kid Loki's origin story, and he appears to be like the king in the void, which is this desolate wasteland that they find themselves in at the end of time here. That's where Loki got transported when he gets purged. Uh, apparently that's where everybody goes when they get purged. So 
we had questions at the end of last week about whether this was kind of Loki's personal purgatory or, you know, what exactly the place he found himself in was. But it appears to just be a void where it's basically time's garbage disposal, I think, uh, is the best way to describe it. Everything that gets pruned, Renslayer explains to Sylvie that they can't destroy the matter that is created by a branch timeline. So they just have to send it all to the void, basically. And all these timelines that have been pruned are just in ruins at the end of time here. So Kid Loki is kind of the king in the void, and he doesn't give too long a story about his Nexus event, but he simply says that he killed Thor, which is pretty intense when you see, like, the age of the kid. I mean, obviously, you know, we said Asgardians age differently, but this kid is, like, a young teenager, maybe even a tween, and has apparently killed his brother, the God of Thunder, by this point which would certainly result in a Nexus event. I mean, Thor is important for many events that keep the universe steady over the course of time. So killing him, definitely good cause for the TVA to step in. But I want to know what your reaction was to that simple line by Kid Loki. I mean, if there's infinite timelines or infinite variants of each person, then it totally makes sense that there's a scenario, especially when Loki and Thor have a history of butting heads and, you know, in Ragnarok, they talk about when Loki turned himself into a snake, knowing that Thor loves snakes, and he bit him. So, like, <laughs> clearly there's been a lot of dangerous interactions between them, especially as kids, I'm sure, when they maybe have a bit less control of their power. Um, so, I think that was kind of more of a funny throwaway line than anything. I didn't, I didn't read too, too much into it, because I'm sure there are many realities in which that's happened just the nature of Loki and Thor's relationship, especially as kids. So I thought that was funny. It was interesting that um, that because of that, he was the king at the void, that he was in charge, which it didn't seem like he had much of a dominion because there were only the four of them, including the alligator, that seemed to be on the same page, and that devolved into chaos pretty quickly. So <laughs> I don't know. I think the word king might not be the right definition. It was a pretty tenuous hold on his kingdom, if that's what he was, but it was, it was, it was pretty funny. It made me chuckle. Yeah, I, I was taken a little bit aback, but I guess you're right. With infinite timelines, there's, there has to be one at least where that is happening. Probably one where a kid did it. So, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility again, but just surprising to hear that from uh, the kid version instead of, you know, the, uh, the big boastful version, which his origin story is next. And he claims that he defeated Iron Man and Captain America and then took all six stones but as his name is boastful loki nobody believes him and everybody just calls him a liar even alligator loki says he's lying which <laughs> you know can't fool alligator loki nobody can well even if he did collect all of them the tva apparently doesn't care about infinity stones so they probably snapped him right up real quick anyway so either way he ended up at the void regardless so as much as he might have tried yep. to avoid it but um <laughs> boo <laughs> Boo. Yes, yes, Everybody boo. Death clear through the screen. <laughs> Everybody who's listening just boo along oh, with come me. On, boo. That was great. That was great. No, in a, in a different timeline, I would have made that joke and then laughed at it. So, mm -hmm. Man, It was cool seeing the different Lokis, though, mm -hmm. especially since they had shown kind of a cycle of different ones way back in episode one, I think, or maybe it was episode two when that was, episode two. And so it was cool getting to actually meet some of them. And then we end up seeing a whole bunch more later in the episode, which some of them looked pretty goofy. But it was, uh, yeah, really cool. And I think it gave Loki some perspective as well. There's certain parts when he's talking with them or when he's 
seeing the fight scene later on between the Lokis, where he's just like, man, is this really how I come off to other people? Like, I <laughs> look like an idiot. I'm acting like an idiot. I'm kind of pathetic in some ways. And I think it just shows how much he's grown throughout the course of the show. It's hard to still see this Loki without picturing the one that we saw through the main story of the MCU. And so it's hard not just associating that character development with him now, because it's definitely happened quicker in this show than it did over the course of multiple movies, right? But it just shows how much he's grown when he's listening to some of the stuff and it's like, wow, looking like I'm, I'm glad I'm not like that anymore. I'm kind of a little bit embarrassed <laughs> about all these other Lokis. So I think that was really cool and it really showed just how much he has grown over the last few episodes especially so it was cool yeah i think character growth and self-reflection are the themes of these first three mcu shows and that will lead me to my theory about the finale of this episode and the finale of the season as we get to it later on but yeah we can get to that next scene so boastful loki actually ends up being a traitor as all lokis apparently are they get found by the president loki who we've seen in the promotional material but i think we all assumed it was kind of the main Loki, um, as he's played by Tom Hiddleston and not a different, you know, variant. But it, it does turn out to be a, a variant. He has a kind of a gang of bandit Lokis, which are just all goofy looking characters from all sorts of realities. And they capture the main four. Well, I guess five counting Alligator Loki. So Prime Loki, Alligator Loki, Old Loki, Kid Loki, and Boastful Loki get captured by this President Loki and his gang of bandits. But it's revealed that Boastful Loki had betrayed the group and turned them over to the president and struck a deal with them. But then it turns out that the president betrayed boastful Loki in his deal and is going to take over the void with his army of Lokis. But then it turns out that the army of Lokis betrayed the president Loki and they're stabbing him in the back. It was a great scene of Loki classic, just stabbing everybody in the back, even if it's himself. Can't trust anyone and especially can't trust yourself when you're the least trustworthy person ever. So prime Loki is kind of witnessing this from the side and he's, <laughs> he even face palms in embarrassment as this is unfolding and and this is actually you know it's a funny moment but it's it's clearly a mark of how far he's come as an individual this is the same loki that again a few days ago or we don't know how long it's been in real time but recently in mcu storyline was getting ragdolled by hulk after trying to take over new york and now is looking at himself literally looking at himself from an outsider's perspective and like dang i'm insufferable um <laughs> i'm just the worst basically and he's embarrassed by what he is. And he's, I feel like it was kind of like a self-reflective moment also when he's, he's saying to himself, I'm glad I'm not like that anymore. You know, he's able to see the ridiculousness of the situation and be like, dang, I'm glad that I've outgrown that. So I thought it was a good grow, growth moment for him, but also a hilarious moment in this episode when the Lokis all start fighting each other as they stab one another in the back repeatedly. I, th I thought it was hilarious. Plus, Alligator Loki gets some good action. He ends up biting President Loki's hand off, which was hysterical. <laughs> I thought it was a Star Wars movie for a second with the way of people were just losing hands left and right. <laughs> but yeah, no, pretty pretty fun scene there. And here's where we get a taste of the old Loki's power initially because he just makes some projections of them, which you can tell they're projections because they have really green outlines, basically, and they're green-tinted. So you can tell that they don't look exactly like the people, but I think that was mostly for us to have a, a more clear visual. But then he just makes them and has them fight, and then he makes a portal and teleports them, like, out of the bunker. And that was the most mind-blowing thing to me. I was like, is this something that just because he's so old, he's had so much time to mature his power and 
learn everything about what it means to be Loki and what he's capable of or something. I was like, man, this dude can literally make portals and teleport. Like, is that something that Prime Loki's going to be able to do at some point? If he can do that, why is, <laughs> why is he still living in this place with all these raiders and supposedly cannibals and the giant smoke monster? Why is he not teleported to, <laughs> to somewhere that's way nicer, like the Bahamas or something? I don't know, but maybe that's the only planet that exists at that point in time, at the end, at the void. But that was crazy that he was able to just teleport them out and just a sign and a hint of how powerful he is and how powerful Loki's potential is, which we end up seeing later on in the episode. So I thought that was the coolest part of that whole scene, in addition to seeing Loki get some uh, recognition and self-reflection through seeing other copies of himself. Yeah, definitely a sneak preview of what Loki's kind of true potential could be in terms of magical ability. I mean, if you're a version of Loki that's just hanging out by yourself, for centuries at a time on a planet all alone, you're probably going to get a lot of good practice with magic and, and expand your abilities beyond what you would have even been able to consider before. So it doesn't surprise me at all that classic old Loki is the strongest one um, as he's clearly got the most experience. So meanwhile, back at TVA headquarters, Sylvie and Renslayer have been sparring verbally, I guess. They fought at the end of last episode, and Sylvie ended up kind of taking Renslayer hostage. She's like, you're going to tell me everything. Renslayer reveals to her that the stuff that they prune is not destroyed, but it's sent to the void at the end of time, which I mentioned earlier. But Renslayer kind of plays it off as like, hey, I thought the timekeepers were real. Like, I want to get to the bottom of this, too. And that thread goes throughout the episode. It's tough to tell if she's sincere or not. She, at certain points here, is clearly stalling for time so that other agents can come in and arrest Sylvie. But it also has a later scene of her talking to Miss Minutes and trying to find out information on her own about the beginning of time and the creation of the TVA. So it does seem like Renslayer either had some knowledge, at least that the timekeepers were BS, but still doesn't know who's behind it and is now like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Or like knew 100% that they were fake and is now lying about it. That one seems less likely to me because if that were the case, why have the scene of her on her own still trying to find out information? Like, just have her use that as a ruse to stall for time. But I guess we'll see what happens. She's, I'm sure, going to catch up to them at some point in the finale here. She's not just going to disappear off the show. As she is stalling for time, the agents come in and Sylvie kind of jumps behind the counter for some cover. And instead of like, giving herself up to the TVA, she actually prunes herself. In front of the guards, which one of the guards is like in shock. He's like, uh, she just self-pruned. Like that basically shook his entire world that somebody would willingly do that. For all he knows, that's like a fate worse than death. And for somebody to willingly choose to do that to themselves seems like a pretty big red flag. Yeah, she was, she being Sylvie, was taking a pretty big step there by doing that. Especially after Renslayer had been lying to her to trust what she had said earlier about pruning, sending people to the end of time. So pretty big step, but you know, she just missed Loki so much. She had to go see him at the end of time. And the whole pruning thing was curious to me. Like my first thought would be that if you got pruned and they sent you to the end of time, that you would all kind of show up at the same moment, regardless of when you got pruned, they just dump you off right before the end of time. But it doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be, you know, people who get pruned earlier, 
get sent and land at an earlier time, which is why all the Lokis had been there earlier, and why Sylvie showed up approximately the same amount of time after Loki had been pruned and showed up. And so, I don't know if it's like a parallel where it correlates exactly when you get pruned and when you show up, because then it's, you know, it doesn't seem like it's a void, because then time is just continuing then, because otherwise, you know, the first person that got pruned ever and sent there didn't actually get sent to the end of time then, because they still continued to live through time after that. So maybe the void is just the point at which time is, maybe that's like the real present, and time is just continuing to come into existence after that or something, which is why it's impossible to travel beyond. Yeah, but I don't really know, because I was just confused by that. Because the only way you could get sent to the end of time is if there's no more time that happens after, which makes sense as like a garbage disposal, basically, for all of the pruned people and objects. But then why are some of them earlier to arrive than others? You know, there must be some setting with the pruning or something. And obviously it just, you know, might be one of those hand-wavy things to make the plot actually make sense. But that was interesting to me. And I was thinking about that a little bit. I was like, huh. Why, why is that? Especially because they can go any point in time. It's not like they're limited to, like, the later you leave in time, the earlier you have to show up or whatever. You know, they have the ability to do that. So I was just, I was just curious. You're blowing my mind a little right now. Very interesting points, and I don't have a good answer for you. I guess the garbage disposal at the end of time is a little bit too abstract of a concept for exact descriptions of how and why that can occur. But maybe we'll know when we get there one day. Who knows? I don't think it's that important. That was just something I was curious about. Either way, Sylvie ends up pruning herself and getting sent there, and she, like, immediately gets attacked by this smoke monster, Eliath. Like, instantaneously starts getting attacked by it, so anyone who gets pruned apparently lands way too close to that thing <laughs> with no space to, like, run away, but she gets up and starts running, and Steve, guess who we see pick her up? I really wish he had shown up on a jet ski, but it's our boy Mobius in a pizza truck. He Let's comes go. skidding out of nowhere. No clue <laughs> where he came planet. from. No idea how he saw her land there. Zero clue why they were so close. Literally the only non-Loki living thing <laughs> still there is Mobius somehow. Well, the Void seems like a big place. I'm sure there are other versions of other beings out there. We just didn't see them. Maybe they just aren't as... What's the word? They don't have the survivability that Lokis have. So they're also not main characters, probably. So that's probably that, that's assuredly the reason why they didn't survive. Maybe Mobius is a Loki variant then. Maybe he is. If he was the only one to survive long enough. What if he was? That'd be dope. Oh, he's definitely not. Dude, but... if Mobius was a Loki variant, <laughs> that would be amazing. Now, I don't think he is either, but uh, we will see what happens to Mobius next week. So he scoops up Sylvie and takes her to like meet the other Lokis. Again, no clue how he has like a GPS in the void that sends him right to them, but maybe it's not that hard to find like other living things out there. Who knows? Either way, they they all meet up, gang's all here, and they devise a plan. Sylvie is going to enchant Eliath. So she's gonna use that like mind control kind of powers on this massive smoke monster, which is seems kind of like insane. But Prime Loki's plan was to kill it. Definitely more insane. Which, like, I don't know how he was going <laughs> to do that. Throw some rocks at a giant smoke monster. Yeah, that seems like a, a way worse idea. So they decide to uh, enchant it. And before they go to execute this plan, Mobius leaves. So he's about to go back to the TVA and light it on fire, burn it down. He has a great line to Loki. He's, Loki asks him, he's like, what are you going to do now? He's like, uh, I guess I got to go burn the TVA to the ground. Thanks for the spark. 
And I was like, oh, hey, that's a nice line right there. Cute little one-liner from Owen Wilson. Uh, and then he disappears through a Tempad door back to the TVA. So apparently if you have the Tempad, Renslayer uh, lied earlier in the episode that like you couldn't come back from the void because there'd be nothing for the Tempad to lock onto. But seems like that's really not an issue. Like you can just pop right back well, in. Well, she hadn't said that. She had said she had said that the Tempad can't go beyond the oh, void. Oh, I'm sorry. Like going forwards because there's no time afterwards because that's the end of time so it works plenty fine up to the void and coming back just not going beyond but i was curious about this like why mobius wouldn't just hang around and make sure everything went okay you know so that way worst case he goes back and shows up at the same time by himself just like he was going to but best case is they figure out who it is and then he can go back with reinforcements like the Lokis, you know. If I was him, I would have waited another 20 minutes and see how they did. And if they failed miserably, just leave, you know. But if, if they succeeded, I would have been curious to stick around if I was him. But it seemed like he was uh, itching to get back and throw some hands. So, got to respect that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can't wait to see an Owen Wilson fight scene next week. That will be awesome. But that's, he exits the episode and we don't go back to the TVA after that. But then we have easily, to me, the best scene in any of the MCU shows so far. And I haven't looked too deeply at my top moments list because <laughs> everybody keeps one of those for the MCU. But this is an amazing scene. So the plan is, you know, unfolding. Loki and Sylvie are trying to get close enough to Elias to enchant it without getting just eaten. And it's not working. They're not able to keep it away. It's coming for them. And suddenly, out of nowhere... Old Loki starts conjuring up a massive, massive projection of Asgard, all in its glory, coated in green, so we know it's, you know, an illusion or whatever. But the entire, like, city, realm, I don't know what even to describe Asgard as, RIP. But this would be as this Loki remembered it. You know, he would have gone through Ragnarok as his Nexus event was not till after, like, Infinity War. So... This would be the Loki choosing to remember Asgard like in its glory, which I thought was firstly a really touching moment. The score was swelling at this point. Music, again, just going to briefly touch on it here because I feel like everybody's saying it, but the music for this show has been incredible. I mean, there were some like Lord of the Rings-esque sequences where they're just playing amazing, mm -hmm. you know, overtures during this scene. And... It was just a great sequence where he, you know, sacrifices himself, draws the attention of Elioth with this big projection of Asgard and gives Loki and Sylvie enough time to enchant Elioth. And again, this scene just blew me away. Yeah, especially because the old Loki had mentioned that he could do really good projections, right? When he said that he had escaped Thanos, essentially, by making one that was so good even Thanos could, couldn't see through it, which... First of all, he must have made one that was not green because unless Thanos is colorblind or something, yeah, there's no way. The green would have not given away. Yeah, that one was not, uh, there was no audience present for that one. So he didn't exactly. need to Exactly, they didn't need to distinguish it. But we had heard that he could do that and then we had seen his power a little bit during the fight scene with the other Lokis. But even with that, he kept saying... Like, we'll bring you there, but we're not going to help you because we're not trying to die. I'm a Loki. My goal is to survive. Stay alive and keep moving is basically what he was saying at the beginning of the episode. And for him to then turn around and come back, like make an active choice to come back. It's not like he was stuck there. 
or anything either, and just had to find a way to at least delay them, or to delay Elias. He straight up was walking the other direction and turns back, and so that just shows that, you know, even Loki that didn't quite have the growth and character development that Prime Loki has, even there, there's like a base amount of good in him, even for someone that was selfish enough to go and live out his days in isolation as Thanos ravaged the world and everything. So it was really cool, and it made me wish that we had more of him. <laughs> like, it was so sad that he was only in one episode, and I want I want a Loki show that focuses on him. <laughs> call it Loki, or call it old Loki or something. But I was like, man... Just every single scene we got of him, especially that end scene, was so unbelievably good. And it just made me a bit sad that we didn't see more of him. But that's exactly the kind of side character you want. Where he's not there so much that he takes away the attention from the main character. But he's not just there to exist and disappear. You know, he's there to make an actual impact and be memorable and... I. Yeah, I don't have enough good things to say about him, except I just wish he was in more episodes, and I wish he was in there longer, so bravo. Yeah, Richard E. Grant absolutely, absolutely killed it as classic Loki. Um, I mean, man's an acting legend. You know, you all you have to see is Star Wars to know how charismatic he is on screen, even as a villain. So I thought it was a surprise to see him last week as somebody who is such a, you know, well-known and clearly... Stand, an actor who stands out, you know, you recognize Richard E. Grant and his voice instead of usually the characters he's playing, but he really disappeared into this role, brought a ton of life to a classic Loki that, you know, for the limited screen time that we spent with him, again, made us feel like really bad for him as he, you know, told the story of like living alone for whoever knows how long. And that's kind of a really tragic story for him. As we saw last week, Loki putting it getting put in that time cell and having Sif tell him that he's deserves to be alone and will always be alone no matter what mm -hmm. like this old Loki lived through that like he like Sif's I guess prophecy I don't even want to call it that but it came true like that Loki did almost everything he wanted like he survived and then he still ended up being alone and hated it after a time so very tragic and again just a great character brought to life for an amazing moment and i would love to see more of him but if all we have is this lightning in a bottle it was worth it he made the most of the time he had and exactly and so it works also i mean not to mention the, the moment but it's actually effective they're loki and sylvia are able to enchant Eliath, which was also a cool moment and then the big wcf moment of the episode the smoke cloud that is Eliath kind of parts and through it, they can see this castle in the distance. We don't know who lives there, but that's where the episode ends. There, it shows the castle for a few seconds, lingers a moment, and then, and then that's it. And just leaving us with more and more questions for next week. But wow, what an episode. Real quick, I don't want to skip past the whole enchanting part of it. So initially, Loki, Prime Loki, is just trying to distract Elias, Elias, excuse me, and Sylvie is, you know, she's the one that knows how to enchant and has done it before, and she's the one who tries to do it on her own initially, and she realizes that she's just not strong enough to do it on her own. I mean, it's this giant smoke monster, so it makes total sense that, you know, she's not able to do it by herself, 
And so she kind of enlists Loki to help her out. And he's like, I have no clue what the heck I'm doing. And she's like, yeah, you do, because we're the same. And, you know, that was really touching as a moment. And this comes right after the um, old Loki lifts up the whole Asgard. And Loki, Prime Loki, has a quote where he says, I think we're stronger than we realize. And, you know, just the fact that a Loki is able to make such a massive projection, I think that kind of helps them realize, like, yo, we're way stronger than we think we are. Kind of up to this point, we've disguised ourselves a little bit, and that's essentially all Loki has done with his power up to this point. But we know that they are capable of so much more. And so when Sylvie tells Loki, you're a Loki, I'm a Loki, we're the same, you know how to do this, then they hold hands and, you know, he's magically then able to help her, and they're able to enchant the giant monster together and so i thought that was really cool as well because of course sylvie knew how to do that but she still is coming in to like realize that she has to rely on other people as well even though she's lived her whole life alone and so she's learning how to open up to people and how to work with others rather than just herself and loki is learning that he's so much more capable than he realized and how he has all these abilities that he didn't even know he had and that he's worthy, I guess, in a sense of being someone that others can open up to and care about rather than just being kind of the person that's tossed aside. And so, like, you kind of get all of that just from these few little lines and scenes, or I guess it's one scene, but these moments that connect up to the point of enchanting Elioth and it's just it's just so well done and the actors do an incredible job with it and the facial expressions and the emotion and even just the looks they give each other just so much is communicated you know it's a very emotional few moments which then like you said lead to this giant the clouds part and there's this giant castle that looks like it's just floating in space like all the background around it is just space and you're just like what the heck (laughs) I want to know what's going on next. And I was looking forward to the end credit scene, and there was no end credit scene this week. And I was like, oh, that was killing me, man. That was killing me. Yeah, I definitely thought we were going to get an end credit scene this week as well, but I guess the cliffhanger of the episode was enough in and of itself. But the big question, Justin, who is in the castle? It's got to be Kang, man. It has to be, right? It has to be. Like, I'll be so confused if it's not like at this point after this episode it's pretty clear that Renslayer is not the big bad I think there was potential for that after the last episode after episode four but after this it's pretty clear that it's not her and so are they going to introduce a brand new character and defeat them in just one episode after all this build up I think it's more likely that this is a setup for an introduction for a villain that will be around for a bit longer and Kang fits that mold. So, man, I'm crossing my fingers, and I don't know. We'll see. Although I do know uh, Doctor... I know Doctor Doom lives in a castle, so I suppose that could be a possibility as well, but I I don't think he's going to show up until the Fantastic Four do, so I wouldn't expect that. I tell you, Justin, if this show reveals that Doctor Doom is the guy in the castle uh, at the end of Loki, I will eat a sock (laughs) in our next podcast on the mic. There's zero shot. Oh, I'm well aware. I'm well aware. Yeah. It just, he lives but, in a castle. Uh, so. Dude, Kang. Okay, so I've been trying not to theorize too much, you know, after WandaVision. Everybody thought Mephisto was coming, or at least, you know, the X Men with Ralph Boner 
there were a ton of theorizing about WandaVision. Not as much about Falcon and Winter Soldier. That was a less theory-driven show as it was more cut and dry. But all the theories about WandaVision turned out to be wrong. And I'm really trying to not get my hopes up uh, strictly based off theory for a character like Kang to appear in an MCU show like Loki. However, there are so many hints towards Kang that I, if it's not on purpose, like they have to be trolling us. And this is clear indicators of Kang. Renslayer in the comics is Kang's lover. The TVA, the timekeepers, one of them looks like Kang, which that's probably the weakest quote-unquote evidence, I would say, towards this theory. Kang also is known to rule over Chronopolis, which is a city in the quantum realm. We know that time operates differently in the TVA as well as time operates differently in the quantum realm. Similar lines were said by two different characters when referring to each, and that could be a hint towards something. The TVA that Mobius shows Loki in the first episode looks more like a city than an agency. That clearly is a pointer towards Chronopolis there. The timekeepers themselves being fake and another big bad being behind it points to Kang or at least somebody with a ability to manipulate time. Somebody out there has to be super powerful in order to create or be in control of this great power, the TBA. So that person would have to have time abilities of their own, which points to Kang again. To be clear, Kang himself does not have like time travel superpowers, but he is like from the future and has super tech, which allows him to. But he himself does not have the yes. power. And is able to travel through time via his tech. Correct. I'm, I apologize if that offended any super fans out there. I didn't mean to imply that Kang innately can travel through time. He has tech from the future that allows him to travel back and forth through time. Just for people who don't aren't super familiar with him yes. that are listening. In The Void, uh, which this leads me into our final segment here of this episode, which I think will probably be the longest, and that's actually the Easter eggs. There were a thousand Easter eggs this episode, so we probably won't even come close to touching them all, but we'll uh, point out the big ones. Um, firstly is there was a, an old Avengers tower in the void, but instead of saying Stark on it or having just the Avengers A, it said, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of this, but Quang, it, Q-E-N-G, without the U, I don't know if it's Quang or Kang or how exactly to pronounce it. Yeah, something like that. But, but in the comics, Tony sells Avengers Tower to... Kang Industries, uh, which is owned by a Mr. Griffin, who is a employee of Kang the Conqueror. So there's another connection, a direct allusion. Eliath in the comics is uh, not just actually well represented here. I believe Marvel has kind of a bad history with turning some villains into angry clouds. Uh, looking at you, Galactus in Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. But Eliath in the comics actually is a cloud. So this is a fine depiction of him, in my opinion. But he's actually Kang's rival. Eliath is like a trans-temporal being in the comics. So clearly with the two of them going back and forth through time, they're going to have some tussles. And he's actually accidentally set free by Renslayer in the comics, who's a character that's showing up here as well. There are just too many things that point to Kang. And again, I don't want to theorize too much about a character that hasn't even been mentioned. Like, they're confirmed for a movie that's coming out in two years. But, and this is what I was saying earlier in this recording, is these shows on Disney Plus so far have all been excellent, but their theme in common has been character development and 
self-reflection. Uh, Wanda had to deal with her grief. Bucky and Sam had to find their new places in the world as it developed without you know their best friend and role model and stepping into new shoes. And Loki seems like he's dealing with self-reflection in a different way where he's actually seeing different versions of himself, seeing how his life had played out. And essentially getting another opportunity to like to change along the way and, you know, not make the same mistakes that other versions of himself have done. For that reason, I am leaning towards just a different version of Loki being in this castle at the end of time. So it makes thematic sense that the the villain being a Loki, maybe the first one who like maybe accomplished his goal in his timeline and made it to the end of time as a conqueror and then set out to create a sacred timeline so that he always wins even though he dies in the sacred timeline so my own plan doesn't make sense but i definitely think that it would be on par and thematically sound for marvel to have another version of loki in this castle at the end of time as the big bad kind of the best version of himself as prime loki has become versus maybe the worst version of himself that could be something interesting to see but i really want it to be kang (laughs) I really, really, really wanted to be Kang. So badly. Yeah, I will say I have enjoyed all of the MCU shows so far. I think that the finales have been slightly underwhelming. And I think that Loki with a strong finale very easily will be ahead of the other two if it has a very strong finale. Because I think, yeah, I think WandaVision kind of slipped a little bit at the end just having a generic space laser fight kind of deal at the end and i think that falcon and the winter soldier was just slightly heavy-handed and just a little bit a little bit off in the finale which i think the falcon winter soldier finale was better than the wandavision one for sure but i I don't think either of them had a fantastic really memorable finale and i think that loki has the opportunity to do that and i also think it has the opportunity to kind of stumble across the finish line and I'm slightly nervous that they might have set up a bit more than they can handle. And so that's why I'm hoping that it's a scenario where they don't have to try to finish everything in this episode. Where it is, you know, a villain that will continue on in some capacity in the MCU. And so I totally get your theory. And I think it's totally possible that there will be a Loki at the end of all of this. And I think I think that would be disappointing Uh, I mean there's definitely space for them to do that really well but I do think that would be disappointing and I think Marvel I think once in a while pulling a fast one or a red herring or something I think once in a while that can work out really well but there's also nothing wrong with leaving hints and having fan service and letting fans theorize and then paying that off like just from a marketing perspective that seems just like a smarter business move to do that rather than continuously leading fans on and then you know pulling the rug out from under them and so i'm hopeful that it'll be king but i'm also not gonna die if it's not i think there's a space for them to do a really good job if it is another loki or something I don't see how they introduce a whole new villain that's not, you know, Loki's not a brand new villain if he ends, if there's a variant that ends up being 
the villain. But I don't see how they introduce a whole new villain on this magnitude and have it fully resolved in just the one episode. And so I think the only way that there's a full resolution in this episode, that's satisfying at least, is if it's a a Loki variant of some kind. Or, again, if it just doesn't get resolved this episode and whoever it is is still around to terrorize the MCU a bit longer. And that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that they're setting up the next Thanos-level threat, or at least a multi, multi-movie, multi-show villain. But I guess I guess we'll find out in a few days here. I'm trying not to get too hype, but it's very hard not to let my mind run ahead. <laughs> yeah, I think I guess the third option for the finale here and the big bad is a character such as Immortus or the one who remains as sort of like an in-between for Kang as a character with, again, time abilities. And people can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure there are big comic fans out there that know for sure. But I believe Immortus is a variant of Kang. Yep. <clears throat> There's a lot of different versions of Kang throughout the comics. So I apologize for getting them crisscrossed here. But a character like that who could be kind of a stand-in for Kang and then also allude to the fact that he is coming maybe if they're not necessarily directly working for him, but are just a different version of him, or even if they are working directly for him. Um, like, Kang to me is different than Mephisto because, like, Mephisto, you know, they hinted at it. There were Easter eggs here and there that pointed to him, but nothing concrete, and it wasn't cast or anything or confirmed for any upcoming projects. But Kang is different. We know Kang is coming. Jonathan Majors is playing him in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania coming in 2023. So he is confirmed to be in the MCU at some point. And this show just makes so much sense to bring him in. I guess we'll see on Wednesday. And it's especially interesting that they announced him so early. Because they didn't announce any other villains. Especially not for movies that far out or shows that far out. I guess they announced some for some of the shows that are coming up here. But especially for a movie coming out so far down the line, for them to have announced already means that, like, it's important. And so, I mean, we don't know who the villain in Thor 4 is going to be yet. We don't know who the villain in Doctor Strange 2 is yet. But we know that Kang is going to be in Quantumania. And so I think that just points to the fact that they have slightly bigger plans for him. Or they at least want all of the non-comic nerds to get a chance to get to know who the heck this is before uh, before it comes out because they want it to have an impact. So I think all the signs point to him showing up in some version, whether it's Immortus, which is just essentially older Kang, or if it's another version of him or something. But, oh, man, I'll be so hyped if it is. And I know there's going to be... If it is, there's going to be a lot of people out there that are just confused who the heck is this <laughs> like i know if we watch it with our family if we you know if i if i watched it for them dad would have no clue who that is <laughs> and you know that's fine it'll be the chance to get to know before uh some of the crazier stuff later on so a lot of people didn't know who thanos was when he first got introduced a lot of non-marvel comic fans so you took the words right out of my mouth. I was about to say the same exact thing, that Thanos was a relatively you know, lesser-known character to the general public when he had his first cameo at the end of Avengers. So Kang is absolutely one of those characters that I could see be a Thanos-level threat. 
not just in terms of power, but in terms of impact over a number of movies, you know. I don't know if Marvel's going to end up doing the same thing here going forward where they have three phases building up to the next super big bad. I kind of would like them to just do maybe one big bad per phase. If they're going to have, you know, 10 or 11 movies a phase, which it looks like they have for phase four right now, that's more than enough to tell, you know, a whole story or a whole arc for a big bad like Kang or, you know, Doctor Doom, Galactus, Silver Surfer. Those are characters that I'd love to see get their own spotlight to the same level that Thanos did. We can expect Doom to become in the future with Fantastic Four. I would love to see him get three whole phases because Doctor Doom is amazing. But we'll see what happens, I guess, you know, by that point. I, I really would love for them to continue to do what has been working well for them over the years where they build grand stories over the years and, and build up the characters that we grow to love and then tell a cohesive story when the time is right and not just rush out to all these different projects and then tell, you know, varied stories that are hardly connected and, and ruin great characters in the process. So I'd love to see them stick to stick to their guns in that regard. Yeah, and I mean, phase four is huge. Like, I don't know the actual runtime of, you know, phase four compared with phase three, but with all of the shows and the amount of screen time that those get, I mean, each show is essentially at least like three or four movies worth of time, you know, and so phase four itself is at least as big as phases one and two combined, definitely bigger than one and two combined. And so, you know, even with just what's been announced so far, and there might even be more that get added on before phase four officially ends. So, you know, they don't necessarily have to do three whole phases if they're going to be as long as this. I mean, the end of phase three hasn't even technically been announced, or excuse me, the end of phase four hasn't even technically been announced yet. And so even this one phase could end up being as long and as many hours worth of content as like the entire first three phases on their own. I mean, phase, phase three was pretty long, so maybe not that, but, you know. If the phases keep getting longer and longer... Yeah, Phase 3 also has the three hours yeah, of Endgame exactly. in it as well, so exactly. it gives it a little boost. But yeah, man, it, it's exciting stuff and an exciting time, and there will have to be some giant big beds. So. Yeah, but it would be super more exciting if it were Kang. But, yeah, the Avengers Tower, I think, pointing like as a direct reference to Kang or an associate of his in the comics... I think is a huge flag. But yeah, let's talk about some of the other Easter eggs here. Yeah, so would you say that the Thanos copter is a sign that Thanos is coming back? I hope so. Uh, the Thanos copter is instantly <laughs> my favorite Easter egg in Marvel, or probably in any movie. That's I cannot believe that they did that. They kind of made a subtle reference to it with his spinning blade in Endgame that he had with him. And then they straight up just put the Thanos copter in the void. I stood up out of my seat when I saw that. That was the funniest, most amazing Easter egg I've ever seen. And whoever's idea that was, I hope you get the fattest raise because you deserve every penny. That was unbelievable. The second best Easter egg I've ever seen was also in this episode when they're climbing down into the Kid Loki kind of hideout. They get a cross section of the ground as they go down this ladder and you see buried in the ground a frog version of Thor Throg is just in a jar underground in the void. 
What? And Mjolnir's right there next to him, too. Yeah, there's a big version of Mjolnir, and there's a frog version of Thor. Unbelievable. Two incredible Easter eggs. Apparently, Throg was voiced by Chris Hemsworth, which I didn't even know he said anything. I just, like, saw him jump in this jar. But <laughs> I don't know if he, like, screams a little bit or something, but apparently he was. So, just so funny. We got a Gator Loki. We got a Frog Thor. Dude, we need, like, an Animal Avengers. Wanted to see them fight in an end credit scene. That was what I was looking for. But... Um, we also see a giant yellow jacket helmet out in the void, which is pretty crazy, realizing that there's a universe out there where uh, yellow jacket became giant man instead and defeated Scott Lang. That's wild. Clearly a Nexus event, though. Uh, and then one of the coolest ones was also in the Loki hideout here. It was the uh, Polybius game that was behind classic Loki as he was sitting in like the recliner. Uh, I don't know how much you know about Polybius, Justin, but it was a arcade game in the 80s that people had like theories about. It was programmed to coerce people into joining the military, like through mind control, basically. <laughs> uh, and then it essentially caused people to have like crazy side effects, like nightmares and hallucinations and stuff. And then it just vanished like from arcades like overnight or did it get pruned which is pretty nuts that seems to be a theme of the void was that conspiracy theories you know the truth about them comes to the void <laughs> at some point so there are realities where the conspiracy theories are true and they they get pruned so I thought that was an interesting theme. Jeffrey Epstein is at the void <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, he didn't kill himself. So. And all the UFOs, all the UFOs are at the void. And yeah. the CIA agent that was responsible for JFK is at the void. All of the conspiracy theories, man, they all just converge at the end there. And maybe some of them were true. And who knows? But <laughs> that was wild. I hadn't heard of that before about that game, man. Yeah, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Yeah, I know the U.S. government did some wild stuff with, like, experimenting with, like, LSD and stuff. Yeah, it's nuts, right? Absolutely, yeah. But I know that there was, like, especially during the Cold War, some, like, crazy experimentation and stuff that was going on. And maybe this game was part of it. Who knows? Could be. Could be. We also see Kid Loki drinking a high C Ecto Cooler, which is, like, a limited-release Ghostbusters-themed fruit punch flavor, which was pretty cool. The rest of them are drinking, like, wine. He's just there yeah. being responsible, sipping on his juice. <laughs> that killed me. We also see out in the the kind of battlefield area near Elioth, there's a giant Kree warship that looks exactly like the one that Ronan had in Guardians of the Galaxy. And we also see a helicarrier. They're kind of near each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't know exactly where those came from, obviously, but really cool seeing those callbacks as well those looked pretty crazy ruined on the ground we also see a head of a statue of the living tribunal which now is the second time living tribunal has been referenced firstly in dr strange mordo has the staff of the living tribunal as his relic weapon living tribunal is kind of one of those com comic entities uh, i almost stumbled over the word because comic and cosmic are so close but uh, it's both Living Tribunal is one of those, I can't even quantify it as a character because there's such an abstract being that what we've seen so far doesn't even come close to the Living Tribunal. And that's pretty insane. 
I first thought that it was just actually the head that got pruned so that somehow the TVA had caught hold of the living tribunal, which then I realized doesn't make sense because there's only one of him that exists throughout all realities. So could never have a Nexus event with only one of yourself. And then I realized it was a statue. So interesting, a uh, little Easter egg there, but pretty crazy if we see the living tribunal in the future going from something like Iron Man 1 to the living tribunal would be pretty, pretty nuts. At some point down the line, I wouldn't even be surprised. It's going to keep getting bigger and bigger. Oh, wouldn't there, be surprised so. at all. It's definitely going to be something, but just to have that teaser in here at, at any point is pretty, pretty nuts. The other big Easter egg that I saw, and well, everybody saw, was uh, when the battleship uh, kind of gets dropped into the void. This is the USS Eldridge, and this is another conspiracy theory Easter egg. USS Eldridge was part of the Philadelphia experiment, which allegedly, and the military has denied all involvement in this or that it even happened, but uh, essentially there were some tests to try to make the ship invisible in the 80s. And again, the military denied that those were successful or that they even happened potentially, but yeah, here's another conspiracy theory that gets dropped in the void. So pretty cool of uh, the, the writers to include all these little nods to historical conspiracy theories. And there's a ton of just little Easter eggs. I'm going to have to rewatch this episode a hundred times to catch everything in the background. But those are just the ones that I noticed on first watch that stood out to me and uh, were worth talking about. So definitely the coolest ones were the Thanos copter and Throg. The Thanos copter is just a league of its own in terms of coolness. But just, again, I'm going to have to rewatch everything to catch a hundred more details every time I watch it. So this show just upped the ante one more time this week, and hopefully they can finish strong with the finale. I, I agree with your point earlier that the first two shows on Disney Plus have had sort of underwhelming finales. I don't want to say disappointing is the right word, but maybe underwhelming. And... I think that Loki has the potential to be one of the all-time great shows if they stick the landing here and then can continue it in season two. So I'm really rooting for it. And with the potential of, you know, Kang or an Immortus or even if they, again, if they do a evil Loki variant here well at the end, I, I will be pleased with that. So I think they're set up with a myriad of different options that could all play out very well. It just depends on if they can stick the landing here, but very much looking forward to the finale and seeing what is in store for everything moving forward. They have built up a lot of hype and I'm excited to see how it pays off and what it looks like. And uh, I will say I'll be very sad when there's no more Loki to look forward to on Wednesdays. Although we, we did just get the trailer for What If, which is not too far off. Yes. Did not watch it. Not going to watch it. Of course not. But it's exciting knowing that the next show is on its way soon and and such an exciting time to be an mcu fan i know we've talked about this before but there's just so much stuff coming out it's just gonna be crazy and you know yeah. if we get i mean feel like we're beating it to death every time we we record one of these but yeah i mean there's so many things coming up that are just awesome i mean black widow has come out by the time that we are recording this i have seen it justin is not and we'll eventually have an episode on it after we've each had time to see it multiple times um and give full thoughts on it that was the first cinematic release in over two years since spider-man far from hope came out in 2019 and you know we've had the first couple shows up until now but now we're really really kicking into gear 
feels like maybe not now exactly, but as Loki's ending and Black Widow has already come out, but Loki will air on the 14th of July here, the finale, and then we get a few weeks off, and then What If premieres on the 11th of August, and that will air on Wednesdays as well, which is pretty nice to have that midweek uh, viewing. I think Marvel definitely made the right choice with the midweek premiere for each episode. That has me looking forward to Wednesdays a ton more, and Fridays, obviously. Everybody still loves Fridays, so having that midweek is, is pretty nice, and being able to talk about it, you know, at work. If you are going into work nowadays, have a water cooler conversations like we did pre-COVID, but after that, we have, you know, more stuff in the fall and, and over the winter that really just keeps the, the train moving here. You know, even if we have a couple of weeks off again, you know, now we feel spoiled because we're used to having something every week when, you know, we basically just went two full years without a single release. So feels a little spoiled to, to be wanting stuff every single week consistently. But, you know, if we have to take three, four weeks off every so often, it's it's worth it. Need some time to recuperate. So dive into some other stuff. There's. Oh, there's so many other things that I am dying to talk about, too, that this has just been taking up so much of our time, so many of our weeks that, you know, those things have been put off. But I'm excited to talk about we're getting new teasers for the Wheel of Time series that's coming up, which is a huge epic fantasy that Amazon is making that's based off this massive book series that I have been reading and have been a big fan of. And, uh, Teasers have started to come out for that, and I'm excited to speculate and talk about that a little bit. And Amazon's Lord of the Rings show and The Boys season three is starting to get some promotional material. And plus, there's obviously the MCU movies, not just the shows. And man, there's so much good stuff to talk about. And it'll be so nice to have those few weeks in between each of the shows. I'm not even going to be mad in, in between the MCU shows. So definitely needed a little breather here and there. Exactly. Dude, this is a great episode. Fantastic. Probably my favorite of this season so far. Likely my favorite of the MCU shows so far. This episode was fantastic. Yeah, I'm still between this one and episode two of this season, but I think this one is my favorite, although two is still close. I'll have to rewatch two. I'll have to rewatch the whole thing, but so amped. This is the way you get people excited for a finale. That's for sure. Definitely. And we are excited for it, so... We got a few more days until the finale yeah. premieres, and then uh, we can give you guys our thoughts on it afterwards. So. I know. Looking forward to it very much, and Wednesday can't come soon enough. Catch you guys up on that when it premieres, and we'll have another episode out for the finale and covering Loki, the show as a whole. But we'll catch you guys on that next one. Peace. Peace.